Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sylvia Epp and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from San Francisco Bay. Today is Wednesday, February 28, 2018, and this is the 10 a.m. Eastern uh, time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 31, third paragraph, which starts with, we do not like to pronounce anyone and is one paragraph only. Today's readers are Libby E. on the 12 Steps, Carrie S. on the 12 Traditions, and our readers of the text are Karen R., Christine M., and Gabby R. The reference number for Tuesday, February 27th, 10 a.m. meeting is 11,103, and the share ID for this morning's meeting, Wednesday, February 28th, 7 a.m. meeting is 11,000. 106, 11,106. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Libby E. to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Libby? Thank you, Sylvia. Good morning. I'm Libby E., recovering compulsive eater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Libby E. I will now ask Carrie S. to read the 12 traditions. 
Thank you, Sylvia. This is Carrie S. Recovered in Golden, Colorado. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one authority, ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all of these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service and a pass. Thank you, Carrie S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 31. We're on the third paragraph, which says we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic. And we're going to read one paragraph only. And I will now ask Karen R. to start our reading. Karen? Hello, this is Karen R. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay, this is Karen R., compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic in North Carolina. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest ballroom ballroom and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. 
It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Okay, so <clears throat> let's jump in out. To me, is that first first thing we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, um, but you can diagnose yourself. I was I was thinking how my ego, my um, my disease. I like to pronounce it in other people. <laughs> I like to sit there and say, "Oh, that's so compulsive, you that's you know." And really, I need to like keep the focus on myself. I'm powerless over other people, and I'm powerless over their behaviors. It's really none of my business. Um, but but my business is my disease, and um, my first step, you know, diagnosing myself. And when it says um, barroom, the first thing that comes to my mind is step over to the nearest kitchen. You know, my kitchen is my bar room (laughs) right here in my home, you know. Um, And I did try controlled eating. I tried to have a little bit of those foods thinking, oh, I can just have a little, I can control it. But it never did. And it was so insidious and sneaky. Like there were times where I would have maybe say a handful of popcorn But then a few minutes later, even if I wasn't eating popcorn, I'd be in the kitchen searching for other things to just keep binging. You know, it would would trigger a binge fest. Um, So if I had a little bit of of my my foods that I shouldn't be eating, you know, if I had a little bit of that, it would trigger massive binging consequences. Um, And that would happen to me every night. You know, I would wake up resolved. I'm not going to do it again. And then I would, then I would trick myself, or my disease would take over, and I would just go and go. And and I, and this this helped me. This paragraph helped me with my first step because how can I say that I'm not one of you all when I do these things? <laughs> when it's when I look at the truth, what am I doing here? Yes. I have, I have that, I have it, you know, when I start, I can't stop, and, yeah, I can't, I can't stop abruptly, more than once, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I can try, but it always ends up in a spree, so I think I'm going to go ahead and pass with that, and thank you for allowing me to read, and and share with you all this morning. Thank you, Karen R. Okay, we're on page 31, third paragraph. We do not like to pronounce any individuals alcoholics. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Chevy Liat TD. Uh, I have Liat TD, but I had someone before that. Chevy K. Chevy K. Catherine Barbara D. E. I have Catherine D. And then I missed the next person, I'm sorry. Kathleen O. Kathleen O, thank you for coming back. Okay, and I've got Barbara, and I've got Wendy N. Jamie F. Is that Jamie? Yes. Jamie F. 
Okay, that seems like a good lineup. Chevy K, Liat TD, Catherine D, Kathleen O, Barbara, you'll give me your initial when you get on, Wendy M, and Jamie F. Chevy K, let's start with you, followed by Liat TD. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for your service, and thank you, everyone on the line, for sharing your encouragement and inspiration um, daily. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can diagnose yourself. And uh, yes, I finally did diagnose myself after years of binging, uh, followed by a period of committing to never, ever do this again, just to find myself binging all over again. And it wasn't hard to do the math. Flour for me, flour plus sugar plus a mental obsession equaled out of control binges followed by misery um, and the inability to function effectively. Yet, um, diagnosing myself and truly admitting I was powerless over food and my life was unmanageable took many, many painful years. But for whatever reason, I guess that was God's timetable, and I'm so thankful to be in recovery today. And through these 12 steps, my biggest obstacle, the source of my greatest pain and inner struggle, um, Compulse, being a compulsive overeater, it's actually become the most beautiful gift to me. And um, I just wanted to share that um, an experience I had the other day. Um, and I, I had a very difficult conversation with my husband, and it left me feeling very angry, resentful, sad, and bitter. And six months ago, I would have eaten over it. Um, my compulsive eating and my thoughts would have escalated. I would have been binging uncontrollably, my character defects, my thoughts, uh, everything that went along with the scenario would have gone, gone on for weeks. And in contrast now, though, being recovered, I did the program step work around the conversation. I prayed to God to bring me to a place of true acceptance and understanding. And I have to say, it didn't come right away. It took a few hours um, and the pause, waiting for God, um, to give me guidance. It just, it, it seemed endless. But thankfully, um, I was finally able to come to a place of understanding and insight. And God sent me the realization and the clarity I needed, which in essence really is the magic formula to my being abstinent today. And every day I pray for clarity, clarity around my food, my behaviors, my character defects, my service for the day, my responsibilities, family, etc. And I also pray for the ability to shift, um, to shift from my agenda, plan, and timetable to God's when things don't go as I've scripted. And being newly recovered, I'm still practicing this um, very, very far from perfect. Um, but I just wanted to share these ideas with you. And um, thank you so much for giving me the time to share. And I pass. Thank you, Chevy K. The TV followed by Catherine D. Yes, good morning, everybody. Thank you for the meeting. Uh, I woke up, this was a very special day for me because I woke up this morning and I'm celebrating 18 years clean and sober with some uh, food addiction. Um, you know, no days off. I used to pick up chips and uh, would be questioning myself whether I had a whole year or 18 years of no sugar, no flowers, weighing my food with no exceptions. Well, with exceptions when I eat outside. Uh, but I got a chip from my husband. He gave me a card and a chip. 
and our life is about that, you know. He's a sober uh, alcoholic and a drug addict, and I'm a sober, sober reader. And um, the greatest celebrations for us is those years, those times where, you know, here's another year. And I know I can live a life, I know that we can live a lifelong free of this addiction because it's already been proven. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, the bar, the nearest bar. For me, the nearest bar was a movie theater. Uh, I would, uh, I remember, I'm a gutter eater. And so I remember uh, working as a nanny at this house. And uh, I I couldn't, I didn't drive a car because I didn't believe that I can drive a car. I, I myself esteem was so low for some reason. I thought that I'm one of those people who doesn't have the ability to drive a car. I didn't finish school, everything, food took everything for me. And so I would ride a bicycle to a movie theater, which is about an hour away from the living situation that I had as a nanny. And I, I said, I'm just going to start eating a little bit, you know, I'm just going to, and of course, I just, I would buy bags. I didn't even buy food in the theater. I would buy it at the supermarket next door so I would have enough money. And the theater would be like a reduced price movie. The whole experience was not, I mean, it is to check out in my head with a movie, but in my body with food. And I knew before I started that it would be so hard for me to go on that bike and ride around 10 o'clock at night back an hour to the place where I lived. But I couldn't stop. I mean, there was no way in the world that I, once I started, I could stop. And the feeling of going on that bike, I mean, what's my option? You know, I had to drive right back to that place where I would sleep on the street by the movie theater. You know, and I would, that's the pain of going on that bike and riding, feeling bloated and, the bloodstream with the sugar. Oh, my gosh. So I'm so grateful that I'm not there today. And today when I go to a movie theater, it's with family to celebrate and share the movie and not to check out in my movie theater bar. I love you all. Okay. Thank you, Liati D, and happy birthday. Catherine D, followed by Kathleen O. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. I, I'm really, this is Catherine D. from Northern California, and I'm really touched by the previous shares. Um, the sentence that really got, the part, the phrase that really got to me is, if you are honest with yourself about it. I spent so many years not being honest with myself about this, because even though I knew that I didn't have the capacity to tell myself to stop. There were so many periods where I was, where I did feel like I was being successful with moderation, but only successful because I was able to keep myself from taking the next bite for a little while. But I wasn't successful in terms of um, making my life manageable. In other words, if I was playing the moderation game and eating some of these foods in moderation, 
I was still, I was, I became obsessed with the food and I wasn't thinking about relationships. I wasn't thinking about how I could do the next right thing, how I could be of service. I was thinking about when I was going to get that food again. And I didn't want to believe that. I really, really didn't want to believe that. I fought that for so long. But once I was willing to become honest with myself and let go of it, that is when ironically when freedom came because I thought that that was the worst thing that that I could ever acknowledge and yet that was the only way to freedom you know getting that desperation um, so anyway I'm just really looking forward to hearing everybody else's shares and thank you everybody for being here I pass thank you Catherine D Kathleen O followed by Barbara good morning Sylvia thank you this is Kathleen O Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. How's that for step one? Um, you know, we're being told here that if we're not yet convinced to go out and do some more experimenting. And I tried to control my eating because I wanted to be a normal eater and eat like I saw others eat. And I thought I wanted to be like others and just take a bite of dessert while eating out like my friends and then say, oh, I'm full, I don't want any more. But the truth was, when someone would say they were full after one bite, I'd think to myself, well, what does full have to do with anything? You know, normal people can go to a party, eat food, and forget it. And I'd go to a party, eat a little bit, but like other people, I couldn't, I couldn't forget about it. And I remember once, actually, I went to a restaurant with some friends, and the desserts were the big item. And um, I got this, this piece of um, chocolate cake, and it was from a big, huge chocolate cake that this piece came from. And, you know, I couldn't wait to get back to that restaurant after we went home, and I couldn't wait to get back and go back and buy the whole cake, because you could do that there. You could buy the whole cake. And I would buy the whole cake, and I'd take it home, and I'd eat it. Now, most people, if I told that story, wouldn't believe it. But if you're on the line and you believe that story, you're probably a compulsive overeater. You know, we have an obsession of the mind, and I have to admit to my innermost self that I'm never, ever going to be normal. I'm never going to be able to take a bite of anything like cake, and it's going to be enough. Because, you know, I, I always believe the lie that the food was going to save me because it would make me feel better. But the allergy was triggered and the obsession would start all over again. And I really had to stop believing the lie that the food was going to fix what, it, what was ever bothering me. Because the bottom line was every time I tried to control the food, the food was actually controlling me. And, you know, this is a progressive disease. And if you're truly a compulsive overeater, it always gets worse. It never gets better. And once I finally got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and once I got honest with myself, I put the food down 100%. I walked through the steps, and I found that recovery is also progressive. You know, I began to have a change in my personality due to a spiritual experience, and it comes from working the steps. So if you're struggling, if you're still fighting with the food, if you're still out there experimenting, and that, none of that experimenting is working for you, stick with us because there's hope here, and there is a solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen O. Barbara, if you could give me the initial to your last name, followed by Wendy M. 
Yes, ma'am. It's Barbara E. And this paragraph is so vital to my own personal experience. I was constantly in denial, thinking that, well, I got thin. I've got the self-knowledge. I'll go out and eat like a normal person. Well, a normal person gets full. A normal person says, that's rich. A normal person doesn't eat like a little turtle dove in front of you and then go home to the refrigerator and eat like a vulture. I would do that. I would eat with my pinky in the air in the restaurant and then go home and eat a box, a gallon, a sleeve. That sliver became a slab, became a slob. And I did it over and over and over again never learning from my mistakes, always in denial. I'm going to book club today. I know what they're going to be serving. I just got through cutting my celery up and putting it in a little Ziploc bag. So when they're pulling out all the cream-filled, crusty, crispy hors d'oeuvres, I will have something safe. I know what I can do today. I can weigh and measure. I can work the steps. I can live in step 12 because if I don't reach out to others, then I'm doomed to failure. I love this program. I know this disease that I have hates this program and hates this meeting and hates you all because if I keep doing this program and reading this big book, I am immune to it. But once I let go and start resting on my laurels, that disease will grab me by the neck and strangle me till I'm dead. I don't have another recovery in me. I am much too old to try to do it again. So I stick to it, stick to it, stick to it. If you're new or struggling, hang in there, guys. I did it. It works. It really works. Thank you. I pass. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Barbara E. Wendy M. followed by Jamie F. Yes, good morning, Wendy M. Recovered in Colorado. And uh, thank you, Sylvia, for your service. And everybody on the line, these shares are miraculous, really, today. I love it. And um, I am grateful to God for the absence I have this morning. Um, there's so much here, right? First of all, identifying in. It is so satisfying to read these paragraphs and more about alcoholism because it's like, me too, yes, me too, yes. You know, and it, it says you can quickly diagnose yourself. Well, it took me 39 years to get to the point where I was courageous enough to walk into one of these rooms and actually diagnose myself, you know. And um, that is where the freedom began in the honesty in diagnosing myself and saying, yes, I have this problem. And there was no debating. Like I got into my first room. It was in Los Angeles 17 years ago. And there was no debate. I got there and they told me about a compulsive overeater. And I said, absolutely, that's me. Um, And then I love this controlled eating or controlled drinking. I call that an oxymoron, right? Because There was nothing. I was constantly trying to control my eating. I mean, probably from the day I could walk, if not before. So I had that madness, you know, the the mind that says stop and the the physical allergy that says there's no way I'm going to stop this. 
Um, so I just appreciated that. And then, I mean, yeah, just try to drink and stop abruptly. I mean, that's not even possible. Um, and for me, the bar room is the buffet um, table. And it's also the dinner table where I grew up. Um, I would sit there and just, excuse me one second, I got a puppy. Um, I would sit there at the table full of rage, full of anger, being a people pleaser, totally enraged, and just nonstop eat and, and get more and more and more. Um, and the popcorn, unending popcorn. And I loved how I like tried to measure my popcorn. And this is when I was, quote, abstinent in a way. And it was unending, you know. Um, and then my favorite is like at a party and the person's talking to me and I have no idea what they're saying. I'm not interested at all because I'm staring at the cookies and figuring out when can I get them? How much can I get and how quickly can I get that? So there was absolutely no control to anything. And then it says diagnose yourself. And it says in this program that we don't diagnose the other. Now, I spent my life diagnosing you and um, thinking lots of thoughts about what you should be doing, but never looking at myself, you know. And it says also in this program that if you have a sponsee, you don't tell them that they have a problem, like a newcomer. They have to diagnose that themselves. Um, and then finally, this issue of honesty. If you are honest about this, I was in denial and a liar my whole life, right? I had to be. I had to be a liar because I had to get the food down my throat as quickly as possible. Um, and I find today, you know, the first step is that honesty. Yes, I am one of you too. I, I belong here and I have this problem. That is a spiritual experience. And anytime I'm honest with myself or with you in a situation where I'm lying, I, I get that spiritual experience. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy M. Janet, Jamie F. Hi, good morning. This is Jamie F. Recovering in Philadelphia. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, what I want to speak on today is, is getting some clarity um, and trying to differentiate the true from the false. I think that a very big part of my denial, which carried on for for many, many years, is that um, I didn't know what a normal eater was because pretty much everyone in my family was not a normal eater. And there's a lot of parts, I think, of our culture that um, kind of celebrates food and uses food as love and reward and medicine and so on. So I was attracted to all of those people and things that used food inappropriately, I, I guess you could say. So I thought what I was doing was, was normal because I saw it all around me and I couldn't differentiate the true from the false and I didn't have the clarity. And I don't know if I still do have the clarity. I, you know, this is still a struggle for me. Um, but every single day, I am starting to realize the truth. I, I, I do I have to call it out that it's insane to keep going back to eating an entire box, no matter how many other people do it, no matter if other people do behaviors and laugh it off. And I don't know if they're compulsive overeaters. I just know that somehow in my life I've had a lot of people with a lot of food issues. I don't, I don't know if they're compulsive overeaters. I know that I am. I know that a lot of people use food in inappropriate ways. Um, and that I know that I have an insidious disease that uh, makes it seem like my behavior is, is normal and accepted. Um, 
even though you know I know that it isn't. I hope that this could make any any type of sense. But uh, one big part of the abstinence is gaining the clarity as to what is sane eating and what is not sane eating, which I never knew in my entire life. I knew dieting and I knew binging, and that seemed perfectly normal to me. I could see it all around me. I could see it on commercials. Um, so, so I'm learning to to differentiate the true from the false, and I appreciate that I'm very much still learning. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Jamie F. Okay, we're on page 31, third paragraph. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic. Who would like to share? Charles H. Penny C. I've got Charles H. H. I've got A. Hang on. I got Penny C. I've got Mo H. And I missed a lot of you. I've got Terry. Terry H. Esther C. Terry L. Okay, you know what, guys? I'm missing more than I'm getting. This is what I got. I, I think I have a foggy brain today. I got Charles H, Penny C, Mo H, Terry H, and I might have the initials wrong, but who else? I know I missed a lot. Esther C? I've got Esther C. I've got L. And what was that last one? I couldn't hear. I'm sorry. U-N-D. U-N-D. And I think that that's probably more than what we can do, but we'll try. Okay, let's start with Charles H. followed by Penny C. Thank you, Sylvia F. for your service, Charles H. Um, a recovered compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? Uh, loud and clear. Okay, I only ask that because I'm going to stick this. And, uh, you know, I you know, really... You, you, do have a, you do have an echo. All right, is that a little better? That's way better. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your service. You know, I realized that I wasn't honest about my diagnosis, and I realized that I read this over and over and over again, and I went to sleep. But when I started to study this and became honest about who I am, I realized, you know what, another thing I realized before I even tell you that thought, moderators moderate because they can't moderate. And, you know, you could hit me offline to get that. You know, I can't moderate, <laughs> so that's why I moderate. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I stepped on down. I listened very intensively when it said step on down to the nearest McDonald's, the nearest pizza shop, the nearest Burger King, the nearest ice cream parlor. I stepped on down, but I did not diagnose myself the way that I should have. And I don't diagnose sponsors either. I'm like, you know what? Do what you got to do because you're going to do it anyway, and I did it. Every time I did it, I tried it, I kept trying it, and uh, I realized that I would always end up on the losing um, end of the stick. And then, you know, I got honest with my diagnosis, and when I got honest with my diagnosis, nobody could stop me from recovering. So I, I'm here, coming here on today to tell you, if you're, if you're desperate and honest about your diagnosis, nobody can stop you. If you're not, Nobody can help you. We got our pass. Thank you, Charles H. Penny C. Followed by Mo H. Penny. Star one. Oh dear. 
<laughs> oh, there uh, you go. I got you. Yeah, yeah I, I was well into my spiel. <laughs> um, good morning, and thank you, Sylvia. My name is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from the Boston area, and I just got pretty, pretty excited because I had a new awareness this morning. It's always good to have a new awareness. This paragraph never meant that much to me because I didn't think I ever went out and tried control eating, you know, purposely go out and try controlled eating or aware of ever, you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, I did do starvation diets and, and then, you know, just got into the food. But what happened to me in that national weight loss club that we, many of us have tried is just that when I realized that this morning that when I first got there, they gave me a food plan, and I followed it religiously. And come to find out now, it eliminated just about all of my binge foods. And so I followed that till I got to the goal weight they had given me, because this was way back in the late 70s, early early 80s that I did that. And as soon as I got down to goal weight, what did, what did the program... Uh, do, but tell me I could go back to having the food that, that you know, I, I binged on and got fat on in the first place. And I remember specifically in those days the maintenance plan was you had one point every uh, every day and then the next week two points. It was an eight-week maintenance plan. And so the first week, one of the things on the list was one tablespoon of Cool Whip. Now, they didn't have any such thing as, you know, sugar-free or anything in those days. And so, oh, every day, because that was one of my big binge foods, I'd have one tablespoon. And when I got onto week two, and I could choose something from the the second two-point group or two things from the one-point group, Two two tablespoons of Cool Whip. So I think you got the scene. So by the eighth week, every day I was having eight tablespoons of Cool Whip. And, you know, I didn't know it was a disease. And what I want to say about that program is that I think think it's wonderful for people who are not real compulsive overeaters, but I am. And I I cannot go back to having those things that I binged on and got me fat in the first place. So now I go to OA and they tell me that I have a disease and that only a power greater than myself can help me with that. And I am so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. Mo H. Followed by Terry H. Uh, Good morning, uh, Sylvia. Thank you for your service. This is Mo H., a recovered compulsive eater from Northern California. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your service, and the newcomers, uh, welcome to you. Um, okay, uh, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Uh, that hit me, and then the other thing hit me is if you are honest with yourself. Uh, so I was one of those people who didn't quickly diagnose myself. I was in therapy for three years Uh, talking about my marriage and my mother and everything else. And then one day I finally said to her, I think I have a problem with food. And she recommended OA. And I went, but I could not identify in at all. I was not one of those people. I 
65 pounds was on my body, but I could hide it. Uh, I didn't want to admit at all for a long time. And then one day after following the food plan, I got into, back into sugar, and my first sponsor said to me, you know, sugar for you is like shooting up heroin. And that really hit me uh, because I never did drugs. And so I said, oh, my, uh, I guess I have a problem with sugar. But it was a long time before I would even say that I was a compulsive overeater. And then I added a sugar addict. And I finally admitted it. But I wasn't honest. I wasn't honest. I would weigh and measure, but then I would have a little extra. Uh, peanut butter is my, my go-to binge food, and I would have a tablespoon of that, which was allowed, but then I would have a tablespoon and an extra lick and a couple of extras. And so things just got worse and worse and worse until a year ago, two years ago, March. I was desperate and willing, because I was back into the sugar, to do whatever it took to uh, become recovered like I would hear on this phone line, which just used to baffle me when I heard people say they were recovered. But I am feeling recovered today after two years of marvelous uh, clean abstinence. And um, I think that's all I have to say. I just thank everybody for their service and welcome again to the newcomers. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you, Mo H. Uh, Terry H. followed by Esther C. We might not have time for everybody, but we'll do our best. Hi, everyone. My name is Terry H., a recovered compulsive reader in North Carolina. Very grateful today. Um, if you are honest with yourself about it, you know, it, I, you know, did all kind of experimenting and trying and self-control. Everything up in that, you know, previous paragraph that we read uh, yesterday, you know, all those things and then some. And it wasn't until... I could get honest with myself and tell, you know, and let myself know that I have an eating disorder. I have a problem. And, you know, that's when I went, you know, reached out for help. And so, you know, to, you know, practicing rigorous honesty had to be the beginning for me, for me to, to work this program and toward recovery. You know, today I know that I have an allergy to certain foods. I'm also a bulimic and anorexic. And I went to those go-to binge foods so that I can purge. And then, you know, after periods of time, I would feel shame and guilt and restrict. You know, I tried only eating a half a bag of circus peanuts and throwing, it, throwing the other half in the bag or eating a couple. And then I would go right in that garbage and get the other, other part out and eat it and then binge and, and purge. And so, you know, until I could, like, just totally get honest with myself, you know, and, and, and be honest and work with someone else and practice rigorous honesty in my program, you know, I would continuously be in my disease. And, you know, I was, I was heading to the door of death, um, you know, physical death. And, you know, I'm just so grateful today that I know who I am and who I am not. I am a compulsive reader, bulimic and anorexic, and I have an allergy to certain foods, and, you know, I had a mental obsession, but working through these steps, you know, helped me with that mental obsession, clearing those blocks between my higher power and myself. And I'm just so grateful for that opportunity. And today, you know, I experienced some freedom. 
So freedom today and, you know, neutral. I can go and do and, and enjoy life today like I've never had been able to in the past. And with that, I, I'm grateful and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Terry H. Esther C. followed by Sarit L. Good morning. This is Esther C. from Canada, currently in New Jersey. I just wanted to share a little bit today on controlled drinking, controlled eating. You know, my first uh, foray into Overeaters Anonymous, I was still a teenager, and I was not ready to accept anything I heard in those rooms. And it took about 20 more years of eating and suffering before I finally came in. And I agreed with everything. I was uh, relieved, relieved to find people like me, and I readily accepted everything I was taught. But at that time, my sponsor did not really teach me from the big book, and her idea of absence was whatever she told me. Um, so I followed that absence. But I, 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 I was eating foods, and I was, you know, technically absent, but I was still eating foods that I had trouble controlling, and I found myself slipping and sliding and certainly she never taught me anything you know that one of the doctor's opinions about that there may be behaviors that trigger me these things weren't spoken about at you know at that time in those meetings and with that you know fellowship but today um i have been fortunate to find someone in whom the problem has been solved and she and i designed a food plan that works for me based on the teachings of the doctor's opinion and today i know even after a number of years of back to back abstinence abstinence and being recovered that if i'm trying to control a food if i'm constantly negotiating over some food or some way of eating then i know that it's a problem for me and it's time for me to put the food down even if it's something that's absolutely nutritious um, even if 99% of the people who are recovered and program still get to eat it or, or eat it, I just know that if I'm controlling it, then it's likely controlling me. And this is what I was thinking of today as we were reading about controlled drinking. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther C. We have a lot of background noise, and someone's working in their kitchen or an office or something. If everyone could mute and keep the line quiet, uh, Sarit L. And followed by Sue Andy. Hi, it's Therese L. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for your service. Um, this is just a, a paragraph also that resonates with me and my experience, too. For me, I feel like the biggest help that my sponsor was able to do for me was to tell me this sentence. And she said that to me when I came in the rooms at 18 years old, or 17 years old. She said to me, when I was binging, it when I wanted to, when I wanted to eat, she would tell me, "Well, why don't you go over and eat that and see if you can control that and try, you know, try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly." And when people would tell me that they could stop for a week, they could stop for two weeks, a month, I never got that far. Never. I could not last longer than two hours, and uh, it was just powerful because that was something that. Only I can do for myself. Nobody can work this program for me, and nobody can make me honest and tell me what my ventures are, which is what's very unique about this program is that every person has their own personal binge foods that trigger them and make them go off to the races. So I found it very helpful also speaking to people who are able to clarify for me what my binge foods were when I, you know, I would think maybe it's, a salted almond, and then they would tell me maybe it's the salt. 
so it was very clarifying, and I got a lot of help from people who, who the problem had been solved and who had years of experience in these rooms who were able to help me get honest with myself about what my foods were for me. Um, I also would go to extreme lengths by taking out more foods and more foods because other people were taking out those foods and because those were things that should be taken out because they just seemed to be um, taken out by other people. And that was very helpful for me to hear is that I have to diagnose myself. There are different foods for me that trigger me, other foods that trigger other people. And so it really makes this program so much more personal. And it, it, the foundation has to be this honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness because, because of, the, of the differences in these program moments foods that trigger me. And um, I think I'm going to stop here. That was um, what I wanted to share on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarit L. And Sue Ann D., we have two minutes left. I'd love to have you take us out. Sue Ann? Hi, I'm Sue Ann D. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and I've been in program for 11 years and just came to the startling realization that I need to start at step one again. Um, I had a relapse uh, for over a year, and um, I had 30 days of abstinence recently. I found out I need two surgeries. I immediately forgot about program, forgot about my sponsor, and reached out to the food once again, um, only to for it to reaffirm my own desperation, as well as my allergy to certain foods. Um, I'm back. I'm listening to A Vision for You, and thank you for your service and all your wisdom and your stories, uh, because I hear them during the day to help guide me. Um, and I'll be working on step one again today, um, but without frustration, really um, understanding that I had to come to this place of desperation to be able to move on. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sue Andy. So that's all the time we have for sharing. Thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to Team Wednesday. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And would Christine M. please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, hello everyone. This is Christine M., gratefully recovered in Missouri. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.